my message uh, this morning is called Not All That Glitters Is Gold. We're going to be talking about like false teaching and of how it can often look really, really good, but it's not. You know, our, our job as pastors is to be shepherds. And uh, that's what the word pastor means. And biblically, there's a famous psalm, Psalm 23, and it talks about your, you know, your rod and your staff, your comfort. We're talking about how Jesus is the great shepherd. And part of the job of shepherds, obviously, is to take care of sheep. But the other part of shepherds, is, and what the rod is used for, is to defend against wolves and bears and lions that might come and try to steal away the sheep. And something I'm very passionate about is guarding the sheep. As a shepherd, it's part of my job to look after the sheep and to make sure that when the wolves come, when the lions come, when the bears come, that they're chased away. So you might not think that deception or false teaching is, is that big of a deal, but it's actually rampant these days. And what alarms me the most is the inability for Christians often to discern it and to know when they're being deceived. See, the number one seller in, in Christian books in 2021 and 22 is actually a heretical book. And I'm, I'm not talking it's just a little bit, you know, different than our denomination or anything like that. No, it's way outside Christianity. Teaching things that have never, ever, ever been taught. And it held that number one spot for six months. It teaches what's referred to as panentheism. Very fancy word there. Basically what that means is all things are within God. Very close to what's called pantheism, which is all things are God. So it's very, very similar to a lot of Hindu teachings and New Age teachings. And it's often used to take the divine characteristics of God and apply it to creation. The, the author of this book, he actually dedicates the book to his dog. And he says, my dog was Christ to me. That's how crazy it is. If that, if, yeah, you, <laughs> that's before the book even begins. So you'd think that'd be a dead giveaway. Oh, this guy's insane. But most people don't realize it. But anyways, you know, what's sad is like this is all fun and games until people just start believing this stuff and then spreading it. And it, there was kind of like an incident recently where I heard of a preacher that was actually spreading this stuff. And I, I wasn't there, but I, within a phone call and two sentences of the phone call, I, said, I instantly knew where it came from and what it was all about. So there's a very popular teaching in progressive Christianity. And progressive Christianity, uh, it's this movement that people have, that's new, and people have believed that, you know, Christianity, our faith, it's, it's evolved, it's changing, it must change with the times, it's progressed. And they proceed to butcher the Bible and make Christianity magically match cultural trends of today. And there's a bunch of people that say they've deconstructed their faith, they've had to tear down a bunch of stuff, lies they believe, that, lies that they think are lies, but are, are in fact truths. They'll tear down belief systems, and they believe they've embraced something new. They've woken up to the new. The problem is they've uh, embraced belief systems that are radically against Christianity, radically against Scripture. So usually the first thing that needs to go is the belief that the Bible is the Word of God, that it has authority over our life. But why are people being duped into false teaching? Why are people being dragged down these roads? Why are they going willingly down these, these roads and thinking it's great? It's because they think it's gold when it's not. Not all that glitters is gold. 
one of the teachings that's out there is, this, you know, when you say that all things are in God, it means that we aren't separated from God. It's actually, pro and then people will say that because it sounds good. Hey, we're not separated from God. He's with us. You know, everyone's forgiven. Everyone's holy and good. There's no real difference between believers and unbelievers. We're all this one family. You know, everyone's been reconciled with God. Everybody makes it to heaven. So that can sound very good to a lot of people because it means they don't actually have to change. That means that sin's not actually a problem. So it's very attractive to people. Of course, the problem is that's nowhere close to what the Bible says. It glitters, but it's not gold. So this morning, we're going to talk about the anatomy of deception, the art of deception, and how also to avoid being deceived by false teaching. We're going to dive into a lot of the Bible today. So this is very much so an educational message. Um, I'm not here to entertain. That's not why I believe that God has called me to be a shepherd. I'm not here to entertain. I'm here to make people closer to Jesus and help them draw closer to Jesus and become more and more like him. That is the point of church, that we can all draw closer to Jesus and become more like him. So here's point number one under referencing deception, and I'm going to bring a hurricane of scripture right after this. <laughs> so number one, deception is a big problem. Here's a fun fact. 22 out of 27 of the New Testament books discuss false, te false teaching. It's one of the main scriptural talking points, specifically in the New Testament. It's also throughout the whole Bible as well. Jesus himself is warning of this in Matthew 7.15. He says, beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. Most people don't realize that false teaching was very, very rampant during Jesus' day. There was actually many people that came before him and even after him claiming to be the Messiah. Then imagine what it would be like that if all the primary religious leaders of the day are teaching falsities. The Sadducees and the Pharisees, the people that are in charge preaching falsities, they're twisting scripture. Primarily in ways that happened to make them rich and powerful. Funny how that works. So that was the primary thing that was going on at that day. False teaching everywhere. So when you see, one, one of my favorite chapters in scripture is Matthew 23, where Jesus just absolutely lights up the Pharisees. Jesus isn't mean, he's good. I'm sorry, Jesus isn't nice, he's, he's good. Sometimes there's actually times you have to be a little mean. <laughs> but he just blows them out of the water, and I just love that. But anyways, false teaching very, very rampant during Jesus' day. So of course he's saying, watch out for the wolves. They're out there, they're disguised as sheep. Then if you just go past Jesus into the, into the time where the disciples are carrying on his message, again, false teaching, very, very rampant. Now, what's interesting is we actually still have a lot of these false teachings today because everything was so well documented. And in scripturally, they have very, various rebuttals to um, the false teaching of the day as well. But what's very, very interesting is, is how it bears an uncanny resemblance to what's being taught today. It's almost like the devil has the same tricks that he just keeps bringing back again. But anyways, let's dive into scripture here, a nice long one. 2 Corinthians 11, 3 through 6. So this is Paul writing, and he's uh, Paul writing to the church in Corinth. There's a lot of problems in Corinth. 
And so he's trying to um, rectify some of those and bring them back on board, bring them back into what is true Christianity. So anyway, starting at verse 3. It says, but I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted. Just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent, you happily put up with whatever anyone tells you, even if they preach a different Jesus than the one we preach, or a different kind of spirit than the one you receive, or a different kind of gospel than the one you believe. But I don't, but I don't consider myself inferior in any way to these super apostles who teach such things. I may be unskilled as a speaker, but I'm not lacking in knowledge. We have made this clear to you in every possible way. Then I'm going to skip a few verses. We're going to read 12 through 15. Still Paul talking. He says, but I will continue doing what I have always done. This will undercut those who were looking for an opportunity to boast that their work is just like ours. These people are false apostles. Apostles means messenger. These are deceitful workers who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. But I am not surprised. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no wonder that these serpents are also, sorry, these servants are also disguised themselves as servants of righteousness. In the end, they will get the punishment their wicked deeds deserve. See, Paul's not playing games. He's telling it like it is, and he's cutting right to the, the core of the problem here. Notice he goes back to the Garden of Eden twice there. How Eve was tempted and deceived by Satan. Interestingly enough, Adam stood right there and watched it all happen and said and did nothing and went along with it. Two of the original problems of, Christi uh, of, of humanity really are pride, thinking you know better than God, and two, being passive and allowing the deception of the enemy to happen. So that goes right back to the beginning. That's the... Pretty well, the original problem of humanity, that we believed deception and we went with it. The whole problem of why we had been separated from God is because we followed a false teacher. We were sold a false bill of goods we're still paying for today. It is a big problem and has always been a big problem. Making matters worse is that Jesus says that false teaching is only going to get worse. Thought it was bad in Jesus' day? Well, it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And specifically, he says, one of the signs of his second coming, one of the signs of him coming back, is that false teaching is going to be rampant. It's going to get worse than ever before. We're going to go over to Matthew 24, 11, 11 and then I'm also going to read uh, verse 24 as well. Speaking of the end times, speaking of before he comes back, he says this, and many false prophets will appear and deceive Many people. Verse 24, for false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform great signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen ones. See, I have warned you about this ahead of time. Now, Paul also talked about this. 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 2. It says, now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times, some will turn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. These people are hypocrites and liars, and their, conscience, their consciences are dead. Again, not playing any games. Calling it like it is. This is going to be a problem and get really bad towards the end times. I don't know exactly when Jesus is going to come back. 
nobody knows that. But I do know this is one of the signs of the times right now, how prevalent this deceptive teaching is. So with all this in mind, we need to be very vigilant, watching out for false teaching, and, know, and we have to know that we know that we know the truth. We need to be able to discern the gold from the things that glitter like gold. Bring my second point here. What makes this hard is that deception is disguised. Satan is good at his job. It's often pretty hard sometimes to discern what is deception. Uh, Jesus says this, he says, Matthew 7, 15, going back to the first verse we read, beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. They look like they're among you. They look like they're part of the family of God, that they're one of Jesus's followers, one of his sheep. They're disguised that way, but in fact, they're vicious wolves. Going back to what, when Paul was talking about this in 2 Corinthians 11, 13 through 15. So these people are false apostles. So they look like apostles. They look like they're, you know, they're part of the band. They're, they're, they're part of the group of you know, Peter and, and John and Matthew and with Paul, but they're not. They are deceitful workers who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ, messengers of Christ. But I'm not surprised even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So if in no one, it is no wonder that these servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. If you go right back again to Genesis and you were to do a bit of a word study on um, even the word serpent that it, uh, is used in there. So it's um, a lot of words have multiple meanings to it. But the, the word that's used there that we often translate as serpent, it also means shining one. So Satan would have looked really, really good in, in, in that moment and, and that he brought that deception. And again, that has continued throughout all of history. People who are disguised as sheep, but they're really wolves. Disguised as apostles, but in fact, they're deceitful workers. Disguised as servants of righteousness. This is the big problem is that false teachers look often just like us. They'll seem to be a follower of Jesus even, even speaking positive positively of him. They'll even claim to be a Christian. And it still happens today. Even people who radically butcher the Bible, they radically alter the faith, they'll still call themselves Christians. And that label allows them to get into doors, it allows them to get into hearts, it allows them to get into places that should have not let them in, that should have slammed the door in their face. Also, a common, talk, a common tactic with disguising is that often the words of God will even be used, but they'll be twisted. Again, Satan did that right at the beginning, right at the beginning of creation, the very first deception. He took God's word and he said, did God really say? And he just twisted it. So it sounded good. It's, it sounded true, but it wasn't. And this tactic, again, it's continued to go on. The best heresies that are out there are the ones that use the most scripture. And there's people that are very, very good at cleverly disguising their messages in scripture and to make it seem like it's biblical. Some of these heresies are so cleverly disguised that even the people delivering them don't even know they're heretical, don't even know that they're a false teaching. They can be completely and utterly unaware that they're spreading falsities. They're spreading things that are actually against scripture. 
I'm sure many of you are aware, and you've seen it many, many times, that people can take scripture. If you take a single verse, you can make it say anything. People can make the Bible say anything when they rip things right out of context. We have to be aware of that. Deception can be very, very well disguised. Point number three, deception is often eloquent. False teachers generally are extremely charismatic, winning personalities. They can be gifted preachers and wildly entertaining. But again, we're not here to be entertained. We're here to grow closer to Jesus, and we're, we're here to grow more like Jesus. But this can be a pull that brings people in because people like to be entertained. Back in, in Jesus' day and even beforehand, a little bit after, Within the Greek culture, professional philosophers and speakers were very, very prevalent. If you think, of, you probably ever studied this in school, but people like Socrates and Plato and Aristotle, they're all coming out of this culture. Also a lot of great mathematicians, things like that. Very, very common for people to be trained in the art of debate, the art of per, um, persuasive speaking, the art of public speaking. They'd be trained to give cunning arguments. And these, these people, these traveling teachers, they would often uh, befriend a rich person and get a job teaching their children, and that would fund the rest of their um, fake ministry, I guess we could say, uh, the, the rest of their job where they would go around teaching in all these big amphitheaters. And it was a big part of the culture of the day to go to the amphitheater and hear this new teaching, hear from these philosophers, hear whatever is new and trendy. They wanted to hear what was fresh. And these were like wildly entertaining speakers. Brilliant. Some of, the, some of the best probably to ever live. Now, maybe one of the worst places for this is actually Corinth, because Corinth is a port city. All sorts of people are traveling and coming through Corinth. And so it had one of the most prevalent cultures of coming to hear the new, fresh philosophy. And so even a lot of Christians would be going to these big events because they were popular. And they'd be getting duped on a regular basis, hearing what was new and fresh and exciting and cool. It's not unlike today that people are duped by the newest podcasts and the newest books and whatever is trendy and whatever is popular. So much of the first two letters that are going to the church of Corinth, it's actually Paul trying to wrestle them away from false teaching, from this deception that they've been taught from these eloquent teachers. It's actually him doing apologetics, which is a word meaning to defend the faith. If you just look at the first chapter of, of 1 Corinthians, you'll see right away he starts to talk about the philosophers, the scholars, and the brilliant debaters. And he'll talk about how this gospel message is being disregarded. Because the disciples, Jesus' followers, they're not seen as these brilliant debaters. These eloquent, trained speakers have been training for decades to give public messages, basically. They're not seen as educated in the same way. And so many people are dismissing the apostles of Jesus because they're not these eloquent and gifted teachers. Of course, obviously the Holy Spirit was involved and, and he's flowing through them and ministering to people. Also, they're doing sign wonders and miracles and Christianity is still growing at an extremely rapid rate. But there's still some that won't even listen to a, a few sentences of these, of these apostles of Jesus because they're not these trained, eloquent, brilliant debaters. 
they're not entertaining. And so they dismiss them and rebuff them. The fact that this is an issue and that the apostles of Jesus, these former disciples of Jesus, of how they're not these eloquent preachers. This is actually, you'll see this multiple times in the scripture, them reference this. It's a problem of the day. They're not entertaining. So a lot of people aren't listening to them. But then these very, very eloquent people who were very, very entertaining, people would be flocking to them and listening to them. And what would get really bad is when some of them would actually worm their way into the church. They'd heard enough teaching that they can speak on it. Next thing you know, they're skewing things and they're causing all sorts of problems. And people are more prone to follow an eloquent person than someone that's not quite eloquent. Going back to 2 Corinthians, and again, Paul talking about this, uh, verses 4 through 6. says, you happily put up with whatever anyone tells you, even if they preach a different Jesus than the one we preach, or a different kind of spirit than the one you received, or a different kind of gospel than the one you believed. But I don't consider myself inferior in any way to these super apostles. That's Paul being sarcastic there, calling them super apostles, super messengers who teach such things. I may be unskilled as a speaker, but I'm not lacking in knowledge. We have made this clear to you in every possible way. See, culturally, the other things that we're working against Paul is, from a cultural perspective, he didn't seem like a guy you should follow. He kept getting beat up, thrown in prison. He wasn't rich. And so people who desperately want riches, they want fame, they want glory, they can look at these super apostles, these messengers, these very eloquent speakers that huge amphitheaters will show up and love and adore. And then they can also look at Paul, who's in prison a good chunk of the time and is writing most of the New Testament from prison. Just culturally, who, you know, who are they, wanna gonna, who are they gonna wanna follow? The rich one, the one that everyone thinks is exciting and fresh and new that makes things you know, pretty easy to follow? Or the guy that's in prison? Because again, this culture had such a hold on people. So the gospel message is getting dismissed. Why would I want to listen to the message of somebody in prison? Somebody in shackles. So they didn't even show up to these church services. They were just instantly dismissing things before they even got a foot in the door, before they even saw God move in, in powerful ways, before they listened to people's testimonies of what God can do, before they even saw miracles happen. It was just like, why would I listen to someone who's in, sha in shackles? Not much has changed. You think of today. Who are the people that everybody follows? The successful, the rich, the famous. That's who people think is worth listening to. See, even, even like 2,000 years after this, still the same problem. People just think because someone's in numerous movies, they must know the truth. Because somebody's really good at getting a basketball and a hoop, all of a sudden they must know how to really live life. They must know what's moral and what's good. The tricks of deception haven't changed very much. When there's this eloquence, this trick of eloquence, this trick of seemingly a perfect life of fame and riches, it's obviously not everything. But it, it's a great mask of deception. Fourthly, deception tickles the ears. I mean, deception sounds good. It's always made to sound really, really good. 
sounds like it's going to be a great deal. Going over to 2 Timothy here, 4, um, and 3 through 4 verses. It says, For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. There's deception 101, telling people what they want to hear. One of the most common teachings during Paul's day was that there's no truth. There's no objective truth. Everybody's personal viewpoint is true. Truth is different for every person. Truth, in fact, is found from within. Everybody should live their own truth. There is no right or wrong. In fact, people in power have forced morals on everybody else. Does that sound at all familiar to what is being peddled today? Of course, this is diametrically opposed to what's in Scripture. Not only is there a truth, truth has a name, and his name is Jesus. He, he is the definitive truth. Truth comes from God. Our opinions on right and wrong don't actually matter. What God says goes, and we submit to that. No, we can't just do whatever we want. We actually die to ourselves. We pick up our own cross and we follow God. And most of the blessing that actually comes from following God is going to be seen not in this life but in the next. We're not here to store up treasures here on earth. We're here to store up treasures in heaven. We're not chasing fame and wealth down here. In fact, we're proclaiming the name that is above every other name. That's why we're here. And any time you see someone make the gospel easier and make it all about you and make it all about being inclusive and downplaying sin and making it sound like you get to do whatever you want, they're peddling a false doctrine. It's a dead giveaway when somebody's doing that. To this day, we're continually manipulated by what is fresh and what is new. I was thinking this week, growing up in the 90s, of how many trends there were that just people went bananas for. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles went huge, viral. Beanie Babies, people went insane. Tickle Me Elmo just kind of kept coming. Year after year, there was just a new thing. We can all sit here and go through our lives and think of all the crazy trends that people just ran for and it changed their life for even when it comes to marketing if you were to walk down the grocery aisle and you'd see there's this new sign that's out there you're instantly kind of pulled towards it there's like a new flavor of oreos it seems like every month and every time you hear about it you're just tempted to want to try it you just feel like you just need to try it and that's just marketing 101 which is also manipulation 101 we love the fresh and we love the new So the people of Corinth, they're really into this Greek culture, and they are all about the fresh and the new. Again, things don't actually really change all that much. These people wanted to hear the latest ideas, follow the newest popular trends. They wanted to think in the new ways. Acts 17, 21 literally says that the people of Athens seemed to spend all their time discussing the latest ideas. That's how prevalent it was in Greek culture. 
Literally, that's what they do for fun. Let's go hang out at the amphitheaters, at the marketplace. Let's talk about what is fresh and what is new. What's the newest idea? That's what they wanted. That's just what they did. They didn't have movie theaters back then, so that's what they did for fun. We discuss all the new things. But again, we're pulled into that all the time. We like hearing new information. That's why gossip is, has such a hold on us. We like to be in the know because it makes us feel important. It makes us feel like we're a pioneer and that we're on the cutting edge. We like to think we know things that others don't because it gives us a feeling of superiority. This whole trick all about new knowledge and how tantalizing it is, all it is doing is preying on people's insecurity. And so hence, when a false teacher comes around even today and they say they have something fresh and new, they've received a new revelation even from God. People flock to it like a bunch of seagulls flock to a bunch of french fries thrown out your car window in the McDonald's parking lot. Here's a tip for you, a little trick for you. If it's new, it's probably not true. Someone says, you know what, for the last 2,000 years, Christians have got it wrong. But I'm coming here today to tell you what the actual truth is. It's a dead giveaway that person's about to teach heresy. If somebody thinks they are the truth, they've discovered the truth, and they are greater than any other Christian that's ever lived. That they can read the Bible in a way that no one else ever has. That they found a truth everyone else has magically missed, even though they have the Holy Spirit within them. Dead giveaway that they're about to preach heresy. Here's what Paul had to say. This is a new verse we haven't read yet. This is right out of Galatians, one of my favorite sections of Scripture. So what he has to say about when someone comes along and starts to preach a new gospel, a new message about, about, about Jesus, a new message about Scripture. Galatians 1, 6 through 9. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preached to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, now I say it again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you have accepted, let them be under God's curse. Again, they're not playing games with false teaching. It's a serious problem. If anybody is preaching a false gospel, a new gospel, a new version of Christianity, Paul says, let them be, that let them be under God's curse. That is not a place that you want to be. We don't play games with those that are perverting Jesus' message. We don't even give them the time of day when they're twisting scripture. When they're presenting something supposedly fresh and new that is you know, something no other Christian has ever discovered. Heretics aren't your friend. I'm going to begin to wind down here. So in conclusion, it's a bit of a longer conclusion in some respects, but let's talk about how can we combat false teaching. How to spot it quickly. Here's something beautiful about the church. We're not actually on defense, we're on offense. Scripture says the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Gates is defense. We're on offense. We need to remember that when we have the word of God, which is our weapon. It's a double-edged sword. It's brilliant for both defense and offense. 
We've been given that by God to be on offense and to guard against the attacks of the enemy as well. But we need to know it well and we need to know how to use it. Paul was talking to Timothy about this. We're going to go to 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17. And then actually right after that, right into chapter 4 as well. The first couple verses of that too. Paul's talking to a young pastor, Timothy. Trying to give him the tools he needs to succeed in ministry. Here's what he says. He says, but you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to repair and equip his people to do every good work. Now into chapter 4. He says, I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom. Preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. Our lifeline to truth, our lifeline against this false teaching, against the works of deception, against the works of the enemy, is the very word of God. And we need to be well-versed in it, immersed in it, if we are to avoid the danger of being swept away by false teaching. We need to know it better than the false teachers do. Hebrews 4.12 says, The word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. It's the most powerful weapon on the planet. The enemy sees it as a weapon of mass destruction. They don't like the Bible because it can completely expose them for who they really are. It can completely and utterly decimate their false teachings. It is alive and it is powerful. And we need to know it. And it's not just for our own sakes, but for the sakes of others as well. That's what Paul was talking to Timothy about. He says, patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. And you need to be ready whether the time is favorable or not to do that. Because our job as pastors, but also even our job as Christians, to be able to teach scripture and to correct when people are straying. To correct when we see when it's wrong and even rebuke when a lie is coming our way. And we need to be able to encourage people with good teaching. That means you need to know your material. One of the biggest problems in Christianity today is how many are standing idly by while others are becoming deceived by false teaching. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. Again, still Paul writing here. He says, we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. That does not sound like passive Christianity to me. No, we knock down the strongholds of human reasoning. 
We destroy false arguments. Every proud obstacle that's in the way of people knowing God, we destroy it. We capture rebellious thoughts and we, and we, we take all those thoughts and we make them obey Christ Jesus. If it doesn't agree with Jesus, it is not true. If it doesn't line up with the teachings of Jesus, it's a lie. So in summation this morning, not all that glitters is gold. There's so much false teaching is out, that is out there and it looks great. It sounds great. It can be delivered in pretty amazing ways. It can be, but the problem is it's disguised. It can sound good, but it's not good. If it's contrary to the word of God, do not let it take root within you. And it's also our job to ensure that it won't take root within others as well. So my petition to you this morning, my conviction, is that I believe that this world needs Christians that know the Bible like never before. This world needs Christians to rise up and swing the sword of God and to teach truth and teach it well. Unfortunately, see, the, illiter the illiteracy rates of Christians are also rampant. The inability to know what is scriptural and what is not scriptural, that is a rampant problem. And we will continue to be easily deceived and picked off by the wolves and the bears and the lions if we do not have an ability to defend the word of God and to use the word of God in this theater of warfare. We are in the middle of a massive cosmic battle that has been raging since the beginning of creation. And I believe God is calling us in these last days to rise up and to have the ability to pull people towards Jesus and, and instead of them being pulled away from him. Our conviction even going into this, this fall is that we need to grow as a church in our biblical literacy in our understanding of theology, in our understanding of what is good and what is true, because the world needs us. They need us very badly. Even the church itself needs us. It needs us to rise up and to know the word of God like never before. So I just pray that that conviction finds a place within your heart. If you're in that, that state of saying, you know what, I, I need to get a better grip on, on scripture. I need to really study this some more so I can discern better between false teaching and the real thing. I need to know what's fool's gold and what's the real genuine article. I pray that God can help you put you on a path towards making that a reality in your life. Something that's beautiful about scripture is not actually rocket science. And you also have this amazing helper to help you understand scripture, the very Holy Spirit, the very spirit that raised Christ from the dead is within you and can help teach you and guide you in all truth. So it can be done. And the most beautiful thing about it also is the fact that we're not alone in it. Again, God puts us in family so we can wage war on each other's behalf. There's things you might not know that somebody else will know, and they'll come alongside and help shore up your defenses. But anyways, we're going to end in prayer. And if you happen to want altar uh, ministry here at the altar for any reason whatsoever, we'd love to pray for you. We believe in the power of prayer. We believe that God still moves because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We believe that God still does miracles. We believe that he still answers prayer. We still believe that he makes a way where there seems to be no way. 
So if you want prayer, we would love to pray with you. But I'll just end in a general prayer and then you're dismissed. Lord, thank you so much for these people that have come here today that are thirsty for your word. They're thirsty for truth. They're thirsty for the genuine article. They want what's real. They want what's true. And God, I know that you honor that. You're a God that guides us in the paths of righteousness. So God, I just pray that you will do that for every person within this room. I pray the Holy Spirit would just come into the room and then begin to minister. What's the areas within that need shoring up? What's the defenses that need to, that need to grow? What's, where's the offense that needs to grow? Also just pray for an excitement to come as well. Rather than seeing this as a daunting task, I'd pray they'd see it as something that's an exciting new venture to grow closer to you. Scripture shows us that Jesus used Scripture very, very well. He knew it very well. In fact, when he even faced the devil face to face in the desert, he used Scripture. And he demolished the attacks of the enemy. So God, I just pray an excitement would begin to come that the more we know Scripture, the more that we can demolish the attacks of the enemy, the tactics of the enemy, the more we can see them coming from miles and miles away. And the less and less that they can disturb us, the less, the less they can put lies within our head, the less they can bring this panic to our souls. God, we just pray that this conviction even to go into your word like never before would stay with us for months and months and months and even years and years and years. And I pray we'd even be able to combat laziness as well that might come in and complacency. Because we begin to think of all the people out there that need to know the truth. All the people out there that are being deceived by messages that we've been, we've been called to combat, that we've been called to stand up against. Each and every one of us has been given a mission, has been given a purpose by God, and it's an amazing mission and an amazing purpose. It's a mission and a purpose to change the world. And God, you have great plans for every single person in this room to reach into their world, to reach into their spheres and win people for you. And God, we really do want to be, a, we really do want to be an army for you. Soldiers for Christ. God, we want to plunder the ranks of the enemy. God, we want to reverse trends. We want this church to be one that's not actually worried about what the enemy is doing, but, but instead one that the enemy is worried about what we're doing. God, we want to destroy all the strongholds that the devil has built in this Lakeland region and tear them down and bring truth and to bring light and to bring joy and to bring hope. So God, I pray as people walk out of this room today, they're also going to feel a power surge within them. Because again, that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives within them. With God, all things are possible. We don't get caught up in the doom and the gloom because we realize that our God is good. And that he's never experienced a loss in his life. All he knows to do is to win. 
He makes all things work together for good. We even, we, we, we even know the end of the story. We know that God wins. So I just pray a joy and a power and a strength over this congregation today. Because I realize, yes, there's a battle out there, but the battle is actually already won. Christ will reign supreme. He will reign victorious. So Lord, just fill us with power and fill us with hope and fill us with joy. In your name we pray, amen.